is only slightly dead in... Oh, should we do a... Hi, I'm this and I'm this and then we don't have to do that at the top anymore. What do you mean? Hi, I'm Nika. I'm Julianne. This is Only Slightly Dead Inside, a podcast that puts the fun in functional depression. We are not doctors, trained therapists, or medically licensed in any way. Just so you know. Just so you know. We're just humans. Don't hold us to anything. We're doing our best, man. Oh, everybody's just trying, okay? Cool. So we were sitting and trying to uh, figure out what we wanted to talk about today, and you thought of the intersection of depression and anxiety and how they feed on each other. And then we pulled up a Google Doc and immediately filled a page with those things, because I was like, is that going to be enough for an entire episode? Should we fold it into something else? Let's just open a thing and see what happens. And then we filled a page and we were like, okay, we can definitely um, talk about this for an entire episode. And immediately both of us went to the two different like devil and angel on the shoulder, except instead of the devil and angel on the shoulder, it's your anxiety is telling you one thing and your depression is telling you something else. And then the two of them have a conversation with each other sort of over your head. And you're like, what? I'm right here. Like, what? Why can't I be a part of this conversation? Yeah, it's it's actually two devils, just different ones. Right. Yeah. Because neither of those is an angel. It's not an angel and a devil. It's just two devils or whatever imagery you need to understand that neither of these things, it's not like a good choice and a bad choice. It's just two bad choices. Not necessarily bad. I think it's your body goes into overdrive trying to protect you and then you lose sight of what is actually a threat. For sure. I think that's a a perfect way to start with how anxiety and depression work against each other because if you launch into an anxious state and your body feels like it needs to protect you you do whatever you need to do in that situation but then the sort of the thing that might get you out of it or give you more realistic perspective is kind of blocked by depression telling you it's not worth it or it's not going to work or this is who you are or a variety of things right and sort of depression is the fire blanket over <laughs> over over any bit of like flame hoping to right, get exactly. out in a and sparkle <laughs> right exactly i think that yeah <laughs> just the fire blanket or that's what you're supposed to do right there's there's a yeah right i've never used a fire blanket well neither have know. i but man what if i if i had a fire blanket for my anxiety that was not depression that would be cool yeah i mean i guess that's is that what a beta blocker is kind of oh i've never tried them i you know i really highly recommend it we're it's gonna, just a once in a while. I'm. This is going to be a, a an episodely thing, isn't it? Where you're like, oh, is that what a beta blocker does? And I will say yes, and you will say I still haven't tried it. And I, I'm, I'm and eventually, it's illegal to send you home with one, but I'm tempted. <laughs> I I will not do that. After this, we will, we will discuss revisiting my my medication so, with a doctor or other person who is medically licensed, licensed unlike us, like we said at the top us. in the disclaimers. Let's go back to the intersection of depression and anxiety and the image that that brings up. We both wrote similar things and usually it's that there's a task or something to do, something that's just slightly out of the ordinary or out of your ordinary. And I find that one will lead and the other will sort of swoop in and support or detract from the other 
Yeah, that's pretty broad. The first thing I wrote was that depression tells me that nobody cares what I say, and anxiety makes sure that my physical body is literally unable to form thoughts to say anything, and depression tells me that that's totally fine because I shouldn't talk because it won't be very good anyway. And then I end up continuing to say nothing. Yeah, this is actually what kept me from being comfortable at parties where I didn't know lots of people for a really, really long time. I've sort of learned how to talk myself out of that in that particular context, depending on my mood. Oh, that's really good because I'm not there yet. If I'm in the mood. If I know I'm not in the mood, I just won't go. But it's totally accurate. Like walking into a room of people where maybe I know a couple of them, my immediate reaction would sort of just be like, nobody cares that I'm here. I'm not interesting. If they wanted to talk to me, they would. And the anxiety over what I would even say if I tried to start and just sort of pretended everything was okay and my brain is just like, like that's just inside my head. That's all it sounds like. Right. Yeah. And I always say that it sounds like white noise in, yeah. in my head so that I have no, I have no way of um, being able to distinguish what a thought might be or sound like. I think of this sort of less in a social situation and more in a meeting situation. Mm-hmm where I know I have an idea. I think that idea might not suck, but because depression has told me this idea is going to suck, it's not worth saying anything out loud. Somebody is probably going to get up and say something before they get to you on the list. It's going to be better and it's not worth getting up. And my anxiety will overload my brain into not physically being able to form thoughts that I think are worth saying. So the idea then goes unsaid or the thought goes unsaid or I distill it down into one or two sentences in a way that everyone's like, "Uh, okay, crickets. And then I sit down and I feel dumb and I never want to stand up again. This is uh, coming up a lot. I'm finding it kind of interesting because I'm more like you in a creative context because I'm definitely more nervous about that. But in my like day-to-day work, I'm way more professionally confident than I am in my personal life, which has sort of helped me get more confident in my personal life because I'll be like, what would you do if you were in a meeting, for example? I am a l- overly opinionated and always have been. So sometimes my anxiety comes in the form of you have to say this or it won't be said. And sometimes that works for me and sometimes it does not. And when it does not and I come across too strong, my depression hits super hard and I'm like, why do you talk? Oh, why do you talk is a big one. Stop talking. Why do you talk? Stop talking. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to talk. And I do have a pretty close group of friends who I am in a lot of meetings with. And every time I do talk, they know now to be like, it's good. You talked. I like when you talk. They feed me tiny treats whenever I talk, which is very sweet. But also now I'm like, you're just saying that because you know I'm scared of talking. But what if they're not just saying that? What if they're not? Uh, You know who you are. um, So tell me. They're going to tell you and you're going to be like, you're only saying that because I told you to say it. Exactly. And then you have a spiral. Instead of being the devils sitting on your shoulder, the anxiety and depression turn into like a sad frozen yogurt swirl. Yeah. It's like a spiral of sloopy vortex. A, a, sl- <laughs> a 
<laughs> a sloopy vortex. I am keeping that in. I don't know where I got that from. Uh, because it's funny and it makes sense. Thanks. It's not a delicious Mr. Softy swirl cone with rainbow sprinkles. No. Or chocolate shell, if that's more your thing. It's not really more my thing. No, I'm not actually really a chocolate person, which oh. other people seem to find devastating. And I'm very sorry I'm to not, everyone else. Yeah, I'm not devastated by that. Thank you. I don't know if you ever read Cheryl Strayed. She used to have a column called Dear Sugar. She revealed herself as Dear Sugar shortly before Wild came out, the book. But she has one particular column called Your Invisible Terrible Someone. The sort of philosophy of it and the the things that Cheryl Strayed says about this and the voice in your head, this invisible terrible someone, I think is super useful for anybody who has these vortexes or an anxiety voice or a depression voice, just something in your head being like terrible to you. I find that very helpful. It's something that we should link to in show notes and all other places where we post things. Yeah. Is what we should do. What are some other ways that depression and anxiety intersect for you? (sighs) That was just the first one. I know. I mean, everything. Well, here, starting this podcast... So I had this idea for this podcast, as we talked about, after I read this kind of tweet storm from Nika way back a while ago. Way back. Uh, Nika and I have known each other for years as I went to college with her husband, Dan, but we were not like super close. We would see each other at like larger gatherings. We'd know each other super well. And it literally took me almost three weeks to send her an email asking if she thought this was a good idea. I talked myself into it and out of it. 4,000 times. I wrote the email several times. I edited it a million times. Eventually, I just hit send because I was like, the fuck are you doing? But (laughs) that is exactly it, though. I was so anxious about even just reaching out and being like, what if Nika hates me? Because we don't really know each other very well. And like, this isn't a really good idea anyway. And I think around the same time, like Forever 35 did a podcast about mental health. And I was like, well, they're doing it anyway. There's room for so many people talking about this. That's silly. Mm -hmm. There's room for all the things. And also their podcast is about more than just mental health as ours probably will end up being too. But But we're all different people. Right. Everybody's experiences are interesting. And right. But my brain was like, well, you're not. Well, they've done it and they have a huge following. So it's not worth it for us to even try. Ding. Ha ha ha. As soon as I wrote that email, you wrote back almost immediately and were like, yes, I'm into this. Let's do it. And I was like, what took me so long? Why was I so worried about this? But everything feels like a mountain when you're in that little when you're sloopy vortex. In the sloopy vortex. And when you're not totally in the driver's seat of your own mind. It's hard to explain to people who don't necessarily deal with this a lot that getting yourself into the driver's seat of your own mind and therefore your own actions is some days totally insurmountable. And some days it's like, well, why don't I just make a to-do list and do it? But my least favorite word in the whole world is just, and that's why. Because Mm. why don't you just? I don't know how to explain to you why I can't just. Yeah, it's my least favorite word. And for a number of other reasons, I feel as though there are very few places where one can use just and have it not be a little bit cutting off at the knees. I've never thought about this. This is really interesting to me because it it implies that there should be some sort of invisible motivation or reason that nobody can put a finger on because if it were a because, you can describe that. I am going to do this 
because I want to or because this will make me feel better. But just do this is so vague. It's it's vague and sad. It makes you feel like there should be something better. Yeah. And also that goes along with my least favorite word, which is should. Because should, as my therapist taught me, is a guilt inducing word. So if I say I should do laundry, I already feel bad that I haven't done it. If I say I am going to do laundry tomorrow morning, I am more likely to do it and I don't feel bad in the interim. Side note, I am also not necessarily likely to do it, but I don't feel bad in the interim. Nothing has changed, you know? (laughs) I'm trying to not laugh into the microphone in case I I have to cut around something. (laughs) But at least I don't feel guilty in the meantime. Exactly. It's the best I can do sometimes. It's relevant. I really needed to do laundry two days ago, and I didn't. Because I didn't set a time, but I also didn't say you should. Well, it's been it's been a hell of a week for both my husband and I. And so actually being humans at home and doing more than just melting into the couch for both of us has been challenging. So we have chosen to melt into the couch. That's totally reasonable. <clears throat> it's yeah. your life. That's another thing with the just and the should. People feel like they should keep their apartment a certain way or if they could just do this, that or the other thing. Like you are in charge of your own life. There's no report card. That's really interesting because I hear that as incredible pressure to be a certain way. And you hear that as an alleviator of that incredible pressure. And that is different. That's why people are different. Yeah. Definitely things are about permission and validation too. Like I definitely was a kid who needed to, part of needing to do well in school was because I really needed that praise. My self-esteem needed that. And when I tell myself there is no grading, this is it. It's a little, it can be a little scary, but for me, mostly it's freeing. It's the you're in charge of your life thing. The idea of that feels so, it's your life and you're in charge of it, so why don't you just? And then it's like a 10-ton anvil on my head and the Roadrunner wins. Yeah, I go through that with bigger concepts for sure, with Bigger, scarier things. Bigger, scarier things. Totally fine. I am so, I'm very good in a crisis and very bad at doing laundry. Just fair. Like I organize really complex things for a living and I have to get a lot of things done and schedule lots of things to get done at certain times. And my apartment is chaos half the time. With the more mundane things, it is more freeing to me to say that I'm in charge and I can just decide not to do this with the larger things. I definitely go through the same thing that you do in terms of like, well, if I'm in charge, then why aren't I just doing this? For me, a lot of it is definitely related to having walked away from performing and the things that I still like about that. I stopped taking voice lessons for years, partly because I couldn't afford it and partly because I just was very like, what is the point? And I think it didn't occur to you to do something because you liked doing it. Exactly. And eventually I did. And eventually I got back to it. And I now I do it fairly consistently. And why didn't I just do this? Like, well, I didn't have it in me. That's why. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Which do you think led on that to your depression or your anxiety? It's really hard to tear them apart because my depression says, what's the point? And you're not very good. I lean on myself about all of my bad habits from when I was a teenager and all of that stuff. And there's a little voice that says, but you like to do it. So maybe try. And the anxiety says, you're going to feel terrible after, or it's just not going to go well. 
And then when I leave, I'm like, that was such a good use of my money. I feel so good. But I go through that whole cycle every single time. Constantly going through that cycle of it. You'll feel better when you leave. You'll feel better when you go. You'll feel better when it's over. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's so not true that it makes going the next time hard. Definitely. If you are not, if you don't get positive reinforcement when you do something like that, that has taken so much to get yourself to do, it really can set you back a lot. I think that's a lot of why some people who try therapy once don't go back. If you have a really poor experience or you don't connect with the person you're talking to, it is extremely discouraging. And I think depression can really take over and drag you further back than you were. And then the anxiety about like, how do I even go about this? It's just, it applies to so many things. It does. I'm going to read the next one. Okay. So a way that anxiety can lead, anxiety makes sure I'm so hyped up that I can't focus on anything. And depression takes that and keeps me focused on the wrong thing so that I don't know where I am or what I can fix. So depression will sometimes keep me focused on something that's so minute about a big picture that because that's something I know I can fix but it has absolutely no bearing on the big picture and anxiety will keep me so kind of amped that the concept of the big picture is sort of not possible to look at it's frustrating because I pride myself on being a very big picture person I'm curious if you have an example that would demonstrate it to the people. If I have a really big audition or something, my anxiety will make sure I'm so hyped up or so worried about doing the actual work or worried that I won't memorize lines or that I won't pick up the choreography. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So like the anxiety sabotages me by keeping me so amped up that I'm worried about worrying about the thing. And then by the time that I do the thing... It has to go through so many layers of my worrying and my depression pinpoints the thing I could be fixing, which is you're making yourself do all of this extra mental work. What is wrong with you that that's there and things are still moving in real time. So I am also <laughs> trying to memorize lines that are being handed to me or learn music really quickly but still takes still takes time it still takes effort yeah and if your brain is filled with white noise like how are you supposed to retain anything exactly I get worried about not being good at doing the work and so it takes a lot more effort to actually just do the work and my depression is like well this is the one thing you could fix why can't you just fix it it's like my depression gets mad at my anxiety when my anxiety takes the lead. Mm -hmm. I've definitely been in situations like that where my brain just starts yelling, what is wrong with you? And that is the easiest way for me to completely melt down without an ability to get out of it. And the only thing I can do is leave. As soon as my brain says, what is wrong with you? It is over. And that is hard. Semi-related audition stories. When I was in school, the way the theater program worked, anybody can be a theater major if you got into school, but there was a special musical theater certificate program that you can audition for. And I auditioned for it at the end of my freshman year. I cannot even begin to describe the level of anxiety I had over this. This was like all I wanted forever. And it was going to like help me prove that I belonged there. 
I felt okay about what I was going to do, but I never felt great about stuff just because I was not in a place where I generally felt great about stuff. And I was running late because I'm always running late for everything. And I walked through a swarm of gnats (laughs) (laughs) and I was late. And I just kind of kept going, but I knew there was something in my eye. When I got to the building, I remember I like ran to the bathroom and I like kind of quickly fixed it. There was definitely something in my eye, but I was late. And through my whole audition, I all I could think about, there's something in your eye and you're still out of breath because you were running late. And then my brain starts being like, you're not paying attention. You're not doing the things you want. This is not working. What is wrong with you? I knew it didn't go well as soon as it was over. The next day, I found a gnat in my eye. (laughs) No, so you were actually right. I was totally right. And I was so mad at myself for not actually addressing it. For whatever reason, it took me a bit, maybe even years, to realize that I really could have, even though I was late. I was a freshman in college. This is not like professional, professional. I could have said, I'm so sorry. There is definitely a gnat in my eye. Can I please have a few minutes to deal with it and get myself together? And they would have said, sure. Asking for space for myself is, oh my God, that's not a thing I could have done then at all. Even though in that particular situation, there was a quote unquote valid reason. Like there was a logistical problem that I was trying to work out. Even if that hadn't been the case, it is justifiable to take two minutes to yourself and to ask for that time and that took me forever to realize I still kind of can't do it I can't it depends on the situation part of the motivation for me to try to not run late as much is I realize if I don't have a minute to myself before I go do a thing I am like a fucking hurricane and it's just I can't control myself because I already I walk into a situation feeling guilty and then just nothing feels reasonable in that moment I feel like I just took us on a bit of a tangent, but your audition story reminded me of my audition story. And the other thing that will happen, I guess, going back to that audition story, and it made me think of other ways in which it is difficult. I get distracted by chastising myself. There's nothing happening here that you can't do. There's no reason why you shouldn't be exactly where you are and yet. Part of me wishes that I had the balls to just be like, hey... I'm going to be really good in the play. Just trust me. And I guess that sort of ties into taking two minutes for yourself and letting the concept of I'm going to be really good in the play. Trust me to have that seep into my being before I go do something rather than going in with my head down already ready for somebody to chop it off. That's a really good point. And people always used to say you have a captive audience. It's an opportunity to perform which right can't who does that but there is people do and whatever works for them it does and some people are like yay this is going to be the only time I get to sing today so I get to sing today and that is fun and I definitely don't want to take that away from somebody so jealous of those people I really am like that is legitimate I really wish that I could do that it would solve so many things I really do admire anybody who has that attitude it is not natural for me to have that attitude but the difference between walking in and saying I'm going to do what I can do and that's it versus I hope this is okay or they're not going to like this. Even that like tiny mental switch, if you just keep doing it enough can help. 
I guess. I don't know if I agree. No? Um, I don't know. I, you know what? You're right, though, because I haven't had to audition for anything in forever. I am, in retrospect, thinking that, like, maybe that would have helped. But maybe not, because I am still a person with anxiety, so maybe that wouldn't help. I think it depends on who shows up first that day. You wrote... Anxiety makes the things I want to do seem scary. Depression tells me they're not worth doing. Yeah. Depression says just sit down. It's not worth it. Like if depression is saying just sit down and anxiety is like, no, 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 get up, do all the things. And like that's when the vortex happens. It's like when you have the cold front and the warm front and that's what makes a hurricane in the first place. Ooh, science. Right? Yeah. It's something like that. I I think that that sounds right. That sounds like vaguely what I learned about in like eighth grade. Right. So you may not even realize you are in the middle of the sloopy vortex, which is why it's extra hard to get out of it. Well, because the eye of a hurricane. And it feels inert. And you it- feel really inert as you're in the middle of the sloop. I know. I'm trying to think of a better thing to say about the sloopy vortex. I think that's what it is. I don't I, I don't think it's more complicated th- <laughs> than that. I think you want it to be very complicated. I don't think the thing you want to say is more complicated than that. Yeah. You're right. No, you're right. I'm trying to use less words fewer words oh my god (laughs) you and max are gonna kill me about that (laughs) only slightly dead inside is julianne bilker and nika lanzaroni our theme song motown mo problems was composed by joel b new and robbie roselle designed our logo find and follow us on all the social medias by searching slightly dead pod and check out our website slightlydeadpod.com we'll be there and also now we are on the google play so if you listen to podcasts that way, now you can listen to us that way. Uh, Spotify, still We're working, working on it. it. <laughs> still processing. Still processing. So, yeah. If you are in crisis or feel like you might be a danger to yourself or someone else, turn this off and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text the crisis text line at 741-741. Someone is always there to hear you and you are worth